Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Hong Kong. Today, I have a very special guest. Now, if you remember, there was this lady that I brought on uh, not too long ago. Her name was Farah Prudence, and she was awesome. She shared about uh, her experience with Islam and her... Um, uh, she, she's on a YouTube. If you look up Fair Prudence on YouTube, you will see this kind of clip that made her very well known where she basically lays that all out on the table. She doesn't pull any punches. She just says it the way that she sees it. And uh, there have been so many people that have gone onto that YouTube clip where she describes the things about Islam in a very unflattering manner. She goes on there, just lays it all out on the line, and people there, I mean, she's got people that are appreciate her honesty, but then there's a lot of other individuals that are not so happy with her uh, views on Islam and actually make threats and insult her uh, and and do many other things uh, on that YouTube clip as they make their comments in the comment section of that of, of YouTube. She has a mother. Uh, that I learned about. I think it was either during the interview or after the interview. I don't know where I, I uh, found out that her mother has this amazing testimony. So I contacted Farrah and said, hey, would it be possible to interview your mother? I would love to hear her story. She's written this amazing book about her, her testimony, Frozen Tears, and we would just love to hear from her. Now, English is not her first language, so um, we're going to try to go slow with her. And allow her to express herself the best that she can. I hope that it comes across well uh, over uh, the, the phone interview. We're, we're not going to be meeting in person. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to hearing from her. So uh, let's go to her now. Hello, Lena. Are you there? Yes, I am. So good to hear your voice. Welcome to the Back to Jerusalem podcast. Uh, could you just give a little bit of an introduction uh, of who you are and uh, a little bit about your background? Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Lena Aziz, and I'm with author of a book called Frozen Tears, and it's a biography about my life. Uh, originally, I am from Bethlehem, but was born in Iraq and raised in the Middle East. Moved to the U.S. and uh, moved to a lot of countries, but finally I'm settled in one country. Okay, wow. I was um, I was just in Iraq uh, a couple days ago. What part of Iraq were you were you born in? I was born in Baghdad, Iraq, Baghdad. Yes. Okay, so the the more Arab part of uh, of Iraq. I've been mainly working uh, in the northern part of Iraq. And so then you spent quite a bit of time living in Palestine. Um, as it, did you? I never, I never lived, I'm sorry, I never lived in Palestine. I was uh, my mother and father, but uh, as you know, our culture, we never been recognized as Iraqi because uh, our ancestry from, from Bethlehem, that's why they would say I am from Bethlehem. Oh, okay. So uh, you don't consider Bethlehem then a part of Pal Palestinian territory? I don't care about what it's where, what they're <laughs> going to call it. It's Palestine or Jerusalem or Israel. I'm sorry, but it's, uh, it's uh, that's why I would rather say Bethlehem. Right, okay. Uh, but I never lived in Bethlehem. Oh, you did not. Okay, because whenever I go to Bethlehem, usually you have you have more of the the Arab culture there and less of the the Jewish presence uh, around Bethlehem. 
Um, so when you were growing, when you were growing up then, did you grow up in a Jewish area or a Muslim area? No, I was born in Iraq and I grew up in, in Iraq. Oh, you grew up. I never went to Bethlehem, but as our culture, we will say that I am from Bethlehem because like, even I was born in Iraq, I never given the, uh, Iraqi citizenship. Because they will say that I am from Bethlehem. Wow. Okay. So even though you were born in Iraq, uh, your 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 parents were culturally were were they Muslim? No, my my parents were from Bethlehem, and they were Christian Roman Orthodox. Okay. So they when when you were growing up then um, as a Christian in Baghdad, how was that? Uh, how was that different? Uh, in Baghdad, we didn't see that much of a difference. In my, we, I moved in, in Baghdad for uh, my childhood. Then we moved to Jordan. Um, then I moved back at the era of Saddam Hussein uh, to Baghdad. I never, when was Saddam Hussein there, I never felt like persecution from Muslims or from anyone else. We were like kind of friendly. And uh, we didn't interfere with each other or inter- uh, we just been like. OK, so yeah. you had so you, you felt persecution in Baghdad. OK, so you felt relatively free. Um, you were Christian. The Muslims were Muslims and you were able to interact. And there was no real kind of persecution when you were growing up in Iraq. Not at the uh, not at the time of uh, Saddam Hussein, no. Okay. Or Ahmed Hassan al bakr the previous uh, president for Saddam, no. Uh, I don't know what happened before, but I well, at this time, no. In your in your book, um, Lena, you write about um, your marriage uh, to a Muslim man. Um, were you a Christian when, when you married uh, your husband that was, uh, that was a Muslim? I was raised a, as a uh, Roman Orthodox, and I went to a Roman Catholic church, which is a Catholic uh, school also. And I used to go to the church every Sunday. I considered myself a follower of Christ, but I had a relationship with him. I would say no. Uh, I I just I was born as a Christian and raised as a Christian. I don't have a one-to-one relationship with Christ. I didn't know him very well. I know about him, and I knew he is my God. Which is uh, which is very common in that area when you work with um, the the Syrian uh, Orthodox Christians or um, the, the the those that are born into a cultural Christian environment. Um, so when, when you got married, uh, you write about it, um, in, in your book, uh, how was that? How did, how did you meet your husband and, 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 uh, did you know that he was a Muslim when you married him? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I knew he is a Muslim and we used to work in a Jordanian airline together and I met him and, uh, uh, we fell in love with each other, and I knew this. I am a Christian, and he is a Muslim. Uh, but but he was uh, willing to uh, adapt with my Christianity. So we got married at the church, and also we got married at the mosque. And not knowing the Bible, uh, I thought, you know what? If I get married at the church, you know, God will be okay with me. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the not knowing the Bible. That's the wrong of it. So that was my sin and my mistake. But we lived two years good. He promised me that he would love my Christ. He loved my cross. He used to buy me a cross as a gift. Uh, so he never showed me that he will persecute me because of my religion. And with working with uh, Royal Jordanian Airlines, I'm sure that he was an international traveler, so he was used to meeting people of many different faiths, as as you were. Uh, so, as you were as you were married together, uh, did you start to see any changes? Uh, 
Yes, definitely the changes it started uh, when I uh, when I had my first daughter, and uh, it started you know the kind of a threat, but it's not like in between the lines the threat that he will go back because we eloped and we got married in the U.S. So uh, and this you know that oh I want. Uh, I want my kids, you know, like he started at the beginning saying, oh, I don't want my friends to know that you're Christian. Just let's keep it. We don't want, like, people interfere in our lives and ask a lot of questions. Uh, let's keep it in private in between us. And then it start like, more and more, just the oppression about my Christianity. And after I had my uh, two kids, he started saying that he want to move back to Jordan, where he want to raise his uh, children as a Muslim and uh, the oppression start being more uh, ex- like exceeded a lot yeah I Increased. this this is um, this is a story that we hear quite often especially today in today's world I, I our main office is based in Switzerland and there are a lot of uh, Muslims who have been traveling to Switzerland they meet uh, women that we are familiar with, and some of them have gotten married with uh, a, a really good courtship or a dating period. And then once they get married, things start to slowly change. We've heard this story many times over, and of course we've heard it in the U.S., uh, in Canada, the U.K., uh, Sweden. But your story I thought was very unique. Uh, because you start talking about um, – and actually the in the description of the book, uh, the book that you have written called Frozen Tears, it says that uh, there was a horrific torture and abuse that began to take place uh, over many years. Uh, can you describe uh, what began to happen to you? So uh, while living in the U.S., the threat – like his family would come and visit us, and I will see the abuse, the verbal abuse from his uh, mother, and from him, it's uh, his sister also came to live in the U.S. Who, um, so I always being looked at the they they consider consider us like a profane, like filthy people, and as a Christian, and they look at us down like we're not worthy. We are people who are drunk in alcohol. We we wear swimsuits and we we have a relationship with every man we know. So that's why they think they are superior. Uh, and I always look down at. And uh, then he started verbally abusing me. And you know, I want to take my kids. You didn't know how to raise my kids. Uh, so I have two chances, and he asked me to to uh, uh, convert to Islam. And at the beginning, it was nicely, but then it was, uh, it was, I was forced, like, if you know, I don't protect you, I will hit you, I will do everything unless you convert to Islam. So he started talking about me as I'm a Muslim, and I was pregnant with my fourth daughter, and he took me to Tampa Bay uh, in Florida. There's a huge mosque over there, and... Uh, and they said to me that I, um, you need to convert to Islam. And I said, okay, you know what? I just say the Shahadatain. I don't know if you know that there is no God but Allah and uh, Muhammad is his messenger. Uh, and his message, I'm sorry, <laughs> Muhammad is his uh, prophet, uh, messenger of prophet. Yeah. yeah. And I said, you know, I will say these sentences and that's it. And what happened was, like, I don't think that ever happened to anyone uh, to convert to Islam, where when I saw the the uh, imam, he said, follow me. And I was, like, wondering why he wanted me to follow him. And I was all covered up with the hijab. And then he took me to the prayer room where the men are there. And I, like, that's doesn't happen never even when i used to go to the mosque women they go alone and at the back in the separate place and the men pray alone and um he 
there was about maybe more than 300 prayer men behind me. And I, he um, made me stand up with my back to them, and I'm facing him, and he's facing the, pray, uh, the people. And he asked me a question that I said that never happened. He's like, I know how you convert to Islam. You just say these two sentences. And um, he asked me, do you deny your Jesus, the Christ? And like exactly word by word, and I, 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 I looked at him, and I just, with all honesty, I saw Satan in his face, and I said, like, that's not the question, you know. I didn't say anything. I was in shock, and like all these people behind me, and I'm, like I'm sweating. It's so hot, and I looked at him, and I didn't say anything. Lena, on the podium in front of him. Lena, do you deny Jesus Christ? And I. Again, I kept silent, and I couldn't answer. Uh, Lena. He tapped again so hard that he pushed the podium toward my uh, pregnant tummy, and do you deny your Jesus Christ? And I said, yes, and I ran out. He said, you can leave with all, you know, like, then I left, and I stopped crying, and... Uh, that's one of the horrific moments that I lived. Lena, uh, L- Lena. Physical abuse and any other uh, abuse. This is the most memory that I will never forget. Uh, Lena, and can you hear me? Even though I converted to Islam, he he also moved us. Like he insisted in move us to Jordan, and in Jordan the abuse started to be extreme, where the uh, physical abuse. Um, uh, like the physical abuse is like bruises, hospitalization, broken teeth. Uh, he will send me back to my family, uh, and he will say, you know, take your daughter away from me, and uh, uh, he will. Uh, I can't see my children. Uh, uh, like many kind of abuse. Abuse happened to my kids because his family, the men in his family, they felt entitled. To my children, where that was an incest uh, and rape to my some of my daughters. I have four daughters and one son, uh, and I couldn't say anything. I would be beaten. I would be uh, hushed, and I couldn't say anything. Alina, and the music also for my kids. Uh, his abuse uh, affected the relationship between me and my daughters, and my my children. Because I changed my role from the loving mom to the protecting mom, to the mom that only wanted to protect her children. So there was no time for emotion. I was numb. I didn't know that I loved my children. Way after three years, maybe after we got separated. Three years. Like in 2009, I knew that I loved my children. I reconnected to my real self. That's how I was. I was like numb, nothing, feeling nothing. Uh, Lena, can you hear me? Can, yes, I can. Okay, um, so I just wanted—I just wanted to ask you when you were when you were forced to convert. You said that you were in Tampa, Tampa Bay, Florida, right? Yes. Yeah. See, the 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 things that you just described that happened to you. That sounds like something that might happen in Saudi Arabia. It sounds like something that might happen uh, maybe even in Jordan. It doesn't sound like something that would happen in America, but you're talking about Tampa Bay area. Uh, you know, that's kind of the center for culture for America, and uh, you're being treated this way uh, in Florida. What about what year was this when this happened at the mosque? Uh, it was the first of uh, November, November first in nineteen ninety one. Wow, you remember the date? That is amazing. That that tells oh, me yeah. how how much of a mark it left on your life. Uh, that you remembered that it was November first. I I was I thought that you would say, oh, maybe around uh, this year, but you actually no. remember the exact day. 
It's the day that I denied my Jesus Christ. Wow. And uh, when you moved back, you said, you know, that there were things that happened. You said that uh, you had broken teeth. So we're talking about very strong physical violence. Yes. And and uh, and you said that also your children are being abused as well. You you even mentioned that um, your you had certain daughters that were being raped by members of the family on your husband's side. Yes, his yeah, his brother and his uncle. Yeah. Wow, and there was there was uh, there was nothing you could do legally, or uh, if you would turn them into the law, what would happen? I went to uh, the 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 uh, the abuse. I went to the lawyer, and he told me. And the lawyer was a Muslim, and he told me, "You know what? I can take your money and tell you I can help you. You are originally Christian. Even if you converted to Islam, you have two choices: either you to leave your kids and go away, just like survive by yourself." Or he's going to say, at least if he lies and he say, oh, I heard her teaching the children about Christ, they will take away your children. It's going to be the same result. And maybe you're going to be in prison or maybe you're not going to be allowed to see, like you're not going to be allowed to pass the city that they are living in. And so there was no choice legally about the sexual abuse that happened to my children. I cannot talk about it because I was certain I would be to be killed, and I'm going to bring shame and scandal to the family if I say anything about his brother. Um, and then uh, when I cried out, I said, at least I don't want him to come to the house. I want to protect my children. Uh, I start losing my, you know, no, I don't want him to be in the house. And he started bringing him to the house back again. He stopped bringing him to the house for a month only just to calm me down, and then I just started screaming, no, when he brought him one time, and he took me to put me in a mental hospital, because he said, you're crazy, and he took me to the hospital, and at the hospital, in a way, I they gave me uh, medication to calm me down, and they said, okay, uh, in a way, we made a deal, I would shut my mouth, and you take your medication and calm down and deal with the situation with the situation so what his brother you know uh did that so what you know just live with it lena when this was happening uh did you feel all alone or did you know anybody else that was going through this same kind of thing as you i would hear the stories about what happened for other women and that, like i would know even we lived with them a lot uh, we, we lived with Muslims a lot. We, I didn't know the. Uh, they were our friends. We will go. They will come at Christmas time. They will say, you know, uh, Merry Christmas. We will go to their. Uh, they were our friends. Yes, but we didn't know what happened inside their houses. Uh, but uh, after that, you know, I have like more experience that I lived with Muslim as a Muslim. Nobody knew that my background. Where I, I knew the real Islam, but I used to hear a lot of stories about, uh, like my neighbor. He has a, a wife from uh, uh, Romania, and uh, he just took the four girls and shipped her back with no visa to come back to to Jordan, and she can't see the four kids, four girls. Other one, she threw herself up from the airport because you know she wanted to come back to. We have a balcony in the Jordanian uh, airport, and he told her we're all traveling. And uh, when she went up, where she passed the border, like in the airport, you pass the stamp your passport, that's it, you cannot come back. And he was waving to her from down. He said, go to your Christian family. My kids are going to be Muslims here. And she couldn't come back, so she threw herself down. She was at the hospital, crippled. They shipped her back to, I think, Bulgari or something like that. Wow. Now, so can... I heard about the story, but I lived alone. 
Yeah, so you lived alone and you felt isolated when going through this. Can you tell us how did you escape? How did you remove yourself from that situation? And were you able to take your children with you when you left? I I never escaped by my strength. It's by, by the power of God. It's not me. Uh, because with, with all my power, I cannot. Because it's the government, it's the law. I cannot beat the law and, and the countries. So he moved us to Dubai for a while. Then he uh, he said, okay, we will stay away from from my brother and all my family. We will move to Dubai. He moved us to Dubai. Then he brought his brother to Dubai. My daughter tried to commit suicide. She was in a coma for one day. And... Uh, then after that, he said, okay, we're going to go to Canada. Well, one day, my daughter, she was, uh, she wanted to please her father. She wanted to, uh, to make her, like, even look at her as a respectful woman because he never looked at my girl, especially my eldest daughter, because she looked like me a little bit and she acted like me. And he always looked with disgrace to her, like down to her. And he will always, don't do things like your mom. Don't do things. So she wore the hijab just to please him and to tell him that I am a good. And she, she tried at that time, she tried to, to learn more about Islam and to please her father. And that night when I said to God, you know what, the one thing before I say that, while I'm living to him and I converted to Islam, at that period of time, I didn't know if I'm a Muslim or I'm a Christian. So at night, I will pray for my Christ every night. During the day, I will wake up before the sunrise to do their prayers. And I have this fear from Allah for a point that I didn't know to whom am I praying. Am I praying to my God or to their God? There was there was a woman that even if I look at her now, I would say she's very complicated to understand. I didn't understand myself at that period of time. Like who I was, I didn't know. Am I a Muslim? Am I a Christian? Am I a peaceful woman or am I a fighting woman? Who am I? And um, But at that time when I saw my daughter wearing the hijab in Dubai, I knelt and I knelt. I remember this moment. I knelt to my real God. And I said to him, I'm angry at you. What are you doing to my kids? Because I saw that destiny is like the, the, the future of my daughter, where she's going to be. She is 14 years old, wearing hijab. She's going to be a married a Muslim. She's going to be taught or abused by her husband um, to dance at events like 9-11. And I knelt down to my Christ and I say, now you want to help me. If you have a punishment, do it on me. Don't do it on my children, please. You know, if you want, because at that time I, I thought that God is very angry at me because I um, denied him. So I said, okay, punish me and leave my children alone. Do you hear me, God? And then at that moment, uh, after one week, my ex-husband, he said, oh, I have a visa. We're going to move back to Canada, and we're going to move back to Canada. And... Uh, that's when, when God intervened. It's not me. So the moving back to Canada happened, and uh, from there I started to reconnect with myself and with the help of my children, especially my oldest daughter. Uh, and we, we, we set free from him and with the support of a Christian uh, counselor that he worked with the Children's Aid Society. Uh, uh, he, he was the one that showed me the real Christ. Once you were out and away from your husband and with your children, um, you decided to start sharing your testimony, and you even shared it uh, in a book. Uh, what what made you decide to share this openly with so many people? Why did you decide to uh, start sharing this information about what happened in your life? At the beginning, we, I just started writing, and I didn't know. Even I named the book Frozen Tears. 
like the first thing when we moved, we moved to a shelter from one shelter to another shelter because me and my children, we are under threat that he will kill us. And uh, so there's a fatwa on us that he will, like, we are, we are dead. He said that to me, that you, you, your post-Islam, um, you're dead now because you went back to Christianity. And taking your children with you, that make it worse. So me and my children. So I went to the shelter. The only thing I took with me is my computer. And I thought, and I sat, and I wrote frozen tears, and I wrote a few sentences, and I didn't know where this one is going to go. I didn't know what's the purpose with it. But I, I believe, I really believe that it's led by the Holy Spirit to write every chapter. But I am a, as you notice, my English is not very good. I hate writing. Like, if I write an email, my girls will be, they will hear, like, Mom, come here and help me to write just an email. So I hate writing, but I started writing, didn't know why. I wrote it without even to ask God about it, didn't add God and the power of God in the story. And then one day, my son, he said, Mom, I found you this book. It's the Christian publisher's uh, addresses. And I said, Christian? My book is not Christian, and then I like it's a waking up moment. Okay, what is this? Like, what is this Christian? Why is like it nagging on me? And there was a publisher that he wanted to publish my book, and I said no. Let's let's put it on hold. I don't want to publish it now. Just leave it. And that's in 2010. And then I said Christian. So I prayed about it, and then I knew. Okay, where is God? It's all about you know abuse, and where is God? Where's the glory of God in this? So I put God back. I put, like, what God has done in my life. I wanted to share my book and share my testimony with everyone. Just to advise people, like, women or men, like, if you do not agree, if you love your Christ, why you jeopardize your relationship with Christ with marrying non-Christian? If you love Christ, stay with Christ. Marriage is not about love between two persons. Marriage is about life, about children. You're going to raise children. You're going you're gonna to start a whole family. And these families are going to have another generation and another generation. What do you want your generation to be? What do you want your kids and grandkids to be? you want them to be followers of Christ? They need to have two parents to believe in Christ in order to follow Christ. Lena, um, after you finished your book, you got your book published, uh, you started traveling around and speaking at different venues, different churches, different Bible studies. As, since you have been uh, helping others and sharing with others about your story, has your husband tried to get back in contact with you? Has he tried to call you or write you or meet with you again? We were, we, uh, me and my children, we were removed by the police to another place to live. And uh, he is not allowed to talk to us or to call us. Uh, there is a restraining order, but there was always a threat by a third family member, like from Jordan, if I call. And there always he was searching us, following us. We knew that he had. Uh, hired a hitman to to kill me at least. Uh, he tried to kill me when the court was going on. Like he tried to choke me three times, and just by the power of God, I survived. Um, but yes, he is still after us. But supposedly, he doesn't know where we live because we are still protected. And you you have to uh, keep your name secret. You have to keep where you live secret. Um, is it just your husband yes. that you're afraid of, or are there others that also no. want to hurt you? No, other people, other other uh, other Muslims. They would would love like not not all like not all of them, but other, like some. Yes, yeah. And and why? I mean, why such anger? Why would they want to hurt you? Uh, first of all, I'm opposing Islam. Second, and that's that that's like double. I took the kids with me. Uh, then uh, most of my kids like has uh, confessed that Christ is their Lord, and that's another thing that I'm taking another five months. 
where he was hoping that his son be a suicide bomber, and now his son pulling the cross up and praying for Jesus. That's uh, something else, you know. And then another thing, it will teach a lesson to any other woman that don't dare, you know, oppose Islam and take our kids from us. So my story will be like kind of a lesson to other people, to other women. So does that you ever... Know, we are here. We can revenge. We can get, get you whenever we want. You never escape. So if you given an idea to another uh, like woman in your situation to run and escape, she has no hope. Does does that ever worry you when you are speaking at churches that there may be somebody uh, in the church or at the Bible study that is there just to hurt you or harm you? Well, with with all honesty, I did uh, I did pray while I'm living with him. I said, God, just give me one day to sleep alone on my bed and pray for you out publicly. I wanted one day to pray for Jesus publicly. I denied him in front of 300 people or more. Uh, God has granted me now since 2010 years of renouncing my Jesus as my Christ and my Lord. So at the beginning, I was like cautious, no fear with God at all. And I have one verse from the Bible. If I'm living, I'm living for my Christ. And if I die, I will be with him. So he, my Lord is so generous that allowing me now 10 years to live and proclaim him as my Lord. So there is fear, there is fear, no, there is joy. I would love every time they tell me fly with, like California, go there, go. I don't care. I just fly and tell my story. There are many people that might be listening to this and hearing you share and talking about what happened in your life, and they they might be a little bit confused because they, they think to themselves, well, I've heard many leaders that I respect say that Islam is a religion of peace. But you're talking about not just your husband, but other Muslims who want to kill you. Um, what would you say to those people that are confused and and think that Islam is a religion of peace? I I want to say it out loud. I love Muslim. I hate Islam. I studied Islam. I studied the 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 Quran. I studied every verse in the Quran. I studied 17 books of what's so-called hadith for Sahih Bukhari, which they call Bukhari in English. There is no peace in Islam. There is no peace in Islam. There is Islam, the the Quran written in, in a different period of time, when they are new to a country, to a city, it's, uh, if they are new to a city, they will say peace on you, and then that the first one, and they are loving and everything. And then when they grow more, they increase by numbers. They they start the other phase. They we want you know we want our freedom. We want to play. We want to build a mosque. We want to do this. And then the third thing uh, phase when they are too strong, okay, and they are too a lot like a lot uh, a lot of people. They are like. Like what happened in Lebanon. It's like they were pure, we love Lebanese, and then they want their rights, and then they start killing, they start to convert uh, people. Either you convert or we will kill you. So Islam is the know nothing about peace. Peace when they first come, and that's it. And that's what, what is in the Quran. Uh, Did I... They are, they are uh, outnumber the other people or outstring the other people. There is no peace about it. And believe me, I did, uh, God is working, still working in my life. I did, uh, when I wrote my book and I started going out and I said, I don't want to talk to any Muslim. Like, I don't want to be near any Muslim. And when I see Muslim in the street or in the mall, I just like go around and just go to the other side of, I don't speak even Arabic in front of them so they don't say, come and say hi to me. I forgave them, yes. I forgave my ex-husband, yes. I forgave his family. But I don't want to have any relationship with Muslims. I don't want to go near them. I'm so, I built a wall between me and them. 
And God has a lot of plans for me. When the refugees start coming, one of the uh, one of my church leaders, he said, "Oh, Lena, we know you're Arabic, and there's a refugee family here, poor family, and they want to come and they want to they want to help." And I said, um, uh, even I don't want to deal with Arab, either like neither Christian or Muslims. I don't I don't want to deal with Arab even. So I said, mm, I don't think so. What's their religion? And he said, Muslim. I said, of course, that's a no. No. Are you like, what do you think? And my excuse was, that's unsafe for me because I can't. In the Muslim society, they are too close. Even they are like in China, they can connect some way somehow. And I said, no, I'm not going to do any volunteer for Muslim family. I love them. It's okay, but away from me. But that's. And I would say no, and I can hear it from the Lord. He would say, no, you're going to go and help them. And I wouldn't even kind of talk to God, and I said, God, no, I can't. And with the help of prayer, and I said, okay, if you want me to go, you give me the strength to go and help them. And I felt about a month, no peace in my heart, because I'm rejecting the idea of going and helping this family. And then finally I said, okay, yes, Lord, I will go. Uh, My my prayer circle, they knew that, and they were praying for me. Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, you're going to meet your first Muslim family to help them and support them. And I'm stepping back from the car. It's like a few meters, like, you know, like about maybe 20 feet only. From the door to the car, from the car to the door, it took me maybe 10 minutes to, to to reach the door, and I was praying the Holy Spirit be on me, the Holy Holy Spirit. And when they opened the door, and I just start crying. I didn't know how. I hugged the woman, I hugged the children, and I start crying and I start helping them. And um, even their sponsor, they've been sponsored by church, they told me, they, we never saw this family smile until they heard you speaking and saying to them in Arabic, hi. And I worked with this family and helped them that this man, he told me, how, why do you love us as a Christian? Why do you love us? And it opened the door for me to tell him about Christ. And I said, if my Christ loves you and he created you, I'm not greater than him. I need to love you as he loves you. And and I can't love you more than him, but I need to love you. And that's what's happened in in one family. And I start then volunteering to other families. And now I'm I'm known to them. And so now you are working together with with refugees that are leaving from the crisis in the Middle East, and you are serving them and helping them, uh, and that is what you have been doing now for a while. Uh, Have you been able to see any of the Muslims that are coming over as refugees? Have you seen any of them become believers or Christians? Mm, Not yet. I didn't see any, but I have uh, one family, which is, this is the first family. I think God blessed me with the family uh, because, uh, he, you know, he said, okay, I will send you. I know you don't want to be with them, but I will send you a nice family. So he sent me this family. His wife was wearing full hijab, like you cannot see, but her small face. Um, she took over the hijab. uh even uh, she's wearing Western clothes, and uh, uh, he did not go to the mosque to pray. He said, I can pray in my house. And then uh, he said to his wife and him, we're not going to fast any Ramadan. So they did not fast Ramadan. Uh, uh, what else? They they go out. They have all their, their friends are from Christian family. And from the church, they are doing a lot. There's a lot of love in their heart now, and they know. And he told me that I wanted to, when I when I get settled here, it, I will uh, uh, I will do your job, and I will do go and help other people and volunteer and do help other people. But to reach Christ, uh, no. Uh, we I started working with them since March of this year. 
Uh, Lena, you have, have you, two people that they took the hijab off. Uh, Lena, you said that, uh, and you used uh, Lebanon as an example. You said when the Muslims first come, they they will share about peace. Uh, and then the next stage, uh, the next thing that they do is they usually ask for their rights to be recognized and even build mosques. And uh, and then you said that there's a, a final stage where they began to demand that other people convert and and they they change their whole situation to where they kind of take over uh do you have that concern at all with the refugees that are coming yes yes i do and that's why i'm crying out loud to everyone who loves christ reach out to this family as much as you can because without you Without our like, our, without a Christian, without people who follow Christ to show the love to these families, they will come if they stay here in their thinking. What they brought with them from Syria, they're gonna be a danger to our country. But if we reach out to them and help them and show that the real God, the real love. Uh, there is some, there is some danger. Yes. So you, I, I, so so you feel I that the idea that we bring refugees here, yeah. but they are here, and we need to reach out to them. So you feel that now is it is the duty of Christians to share the love of Christ while they can. Because if they don't, if I understand you correctly, you believe that if you don't share their your love now with them. Tomorrow, they will begin to uh, start transferring things and changing things in the way that they did in, in Lebanon. Yes. Yes, I do. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, we, we really want to thank you so much, Lena, for joining us. Uh, we want to thank you for sharing your amazing testimony. And uh, for those of our listeners that would like to hear more about uh, Lena's story, you can get her book. It's called Frozen Tears. And she also has a website, uh, lenaaziz.com. That's L-I-N-A-A-Z-I-Z.com. Thank you so much, Lena, for joining us and sharing with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, and thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you. God bless you, Lena. Bye-bye. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. So that was an amazing sharing with Lena. Now, Lena, uh, her as she said in the interview, English is not her first language, so um, that's that's why I wanted to be careful about trying to interrupt her in the middle of her of, of her sharing. We wanted to get everything that she wanted to share out onto the table because she has such an amazing story. Um, but I I know what it's like to be sharing something or about a story or whatever in another language. I I speak two different languages besides English, and uh, when I get going, you know, I'm kind of in my thoughts about how do I say this, you know, in this language. And uh, she did amazing. I think that for most of our listeners, her English was very clear and understandable. But um, she is one of the individuals that comes from the environment of a Muslim family, not her parents, of course, but her husband and, and what all that entailed. And the what she came out of it is one of the most common experiences. Very rarely have I ever heard anybody come out of the Muslim experience with a positive story to tell. It's usually a story, unfortunately, like Lena's. And I have to agree with Lena that Islam is not a religion of peace. Um, I wanted to um, get Lena to clarify because from what I've read before, I think that Lena was also a teacher. She taught the Quran. So it wasn't just that she had read the Hadiths in the, in the Quran, but she had taught it. 
Um, I don't. I I did not get a feel for who her pupils were, whether they were um, people that came um, and joined her in some evening class, or whether they were um, a, a primary school students or secondary school students. I I didn't get a feel from the article that I read of who she was teaching the Quran to, but she taught the Quran, so she understands. It's not about ignorance. She cannot be accused by Tony Blair, George Bush, Obama, or Hillary Clinton that she's ignorant. She's, she, she grew up in a Muslim society. She was born in a Muslim society. She married a Muslim, uh, one that sounds to be a little bit of a more liberal Muslim, a modest Muslim, a, a moderate, moderate Muslim, rather. He didn't seem to be an Orthodox Muslim. Not many Orthodox Muslims live in the West, Canada and America and Dubai and the places that she listed while we had our interview. So he had been exposed to the rest of the world and saw how the rest of the world lives. Now, let me ask this. If this is how a moderate Muslim acts in the privacy of their own home, can you imagine the things that are taking place in the Orthodox Muslim families, the conservative Muslim families, the Muslim families that follow the teachings of the Quran as well as the Hadith to the very last syllable, those that believe in Sharia law? I doubt somebody who, you know, fully supported Sharia law would would you know agree to uproot their family and bring them to the West. But it could be, it, he could have been more conservative than I'm giving him credit for. Uh, I I didn't get that that feeling. But imagine what these families are going through under the control of radical Muslim leaders. That is a scary thought. And to think that she was in Tampa Bay, Florida. When I think of Tampa Bay, I'm thinking of bikinis and, and, and suntan lotion. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, I have images of convertibles driving down the strip. You know, uh, girls in, in maybe thongs skating down a boulevard somewhere uh, guys running out onto the onto the water with these skidboards and and uh, wearing you know tank tops in Tampa Bay Florida you have a mosque demanding a wife to deny Jesus Christ and say that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. This is happening not just in the Middle East, but also in our own backyards. We're, we're, we're not seeing this kind of activity take place in China. Not yet. But we are seeing it take place in areas that have been secularized. Areas that have given up their Christian roots and become more secular. And that secularization leaves a void. And that void is the people crying out for something greater than themselves. They're not finding it in secularism. And as you follow after secularism, you will fall to the, the uh, ways of extremism. Whether that extremism is atheism whether it is Islam or whether it's something else. And in the West, I truly believe that we are seeing the void that secularism is leaving being filled with radical Islam. That was an amazing story by Lena. I hope that uh, it helps our audience to understand what women go through in Muslim societies. There are so many people out there that their their talking points are absolutely ridiculous and laughable and yet we listen to them with a straight face when they sit on talk shows or news programs and they say that Islam actually gives more freedom to women 
women are coming to Islam because they like the freedom that Islam gives them. What a crock of malarkey. Just absolute foolish talk. Anyone that is able to look at a situation like Lena's would throw that stuff straight out the window. A lot of people might say, well, you know, it happens in Christianity as well. Christians can be just as extreme. Christians can be abusive. Christians can beat their wives. Christians can sexually, sexually molest their daughters. Christians can sexually molest little children. We've seen that in Roman Catholic churches. So what makes it any different? The difference is Jesus. The teachings that we receive in his word denies that activity and condemns it. Whereas the teachings of Muhammad and the readings of his uh, revelation for those that have studied it and keep open eyes will know that it wasn't, not, not only was it uh, uh, taught by Muhammad, but Muhammad was a leader in many of these things. He abused women, sexually molested children. Uh, se sexually abused slaves, took in slaves, and allowed his men to do the same. He set the example for all of his followers. That is a radical. If you are to be a radical Christian, that would mean that you would deny those things. You would follow radically follow the teachings of Jesus. And to radically follow the teachings of Jesus, you're going to look quite similar to maybe someone from an Amish community. Jesus never fought anyone. He never killed anyone. He never raped anyone. He never took anyone in as his slave. So to radically follow after Jesus, we would be very much conscientious objectors, individuals that would rather give our life than to take it. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. You saw no such thing with Muhammad. He was giving nobody his life as a sacrifice. Indeed, he actually took it. Many, many lives. He led an army. He confronted opposition with violence, not love. He treated those that treated him badly. He treated them with disdain and showed no mercy. So a radical follower of Muhammad would be an individual that would have slaves, radically kill infidels, and would sexually molest young girls. And Lena gives us amazing insight into that life. I highly recommend her book. Again, it's called Frozen Tears. It is a much more detailed description of her testimony. Absolutely phenomenal. You can find more information about Lena. And if you would like to book her to come and speak at your church or Bible study, you can always contact her at her website, L-I-N-A-A-Z-I-Z.com, LenaAziz.com. Again, this is Back to Jerusalem for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Hong Kong. God bless you. Hello, I'm Eugene Bach, and I'm coming to you with a little bit of a Back to Jerusalem emergency. We need your help. For those of you that are able to help, if you are retired or you are a student or you are finding yourself right now with a vision to serve in missions, we need you. Today, Back to Jerusalem missionaries in China are training people that are going to the field between China and Jerusalem in the 1040 window. Many of those students are learning English as their second language, and if you speak English, we need your help. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably speak English. 
For those that are willing to make a six-month commitment or a one-semester commitment, we will provide housing and air tickets once you pass a very simple background check and sign a confidentiality agreement. The schools are underground house church schools, and they desperately need your partnership today. This is a offer that we are giving out, sending out for the very first time because we are in an emergency situation where we have missionaries that are ready to go. They just need help. We can arrange all of the logistics to get your visa, housing, and transportation if you send me an email at sinobach at gmail.com. S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Again, you can send me a message to my email at S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Thank you for praying about this, and thank you for partnering together with Back to Jerusalem. God bless.